a soft place to land at the end of the day. That's what we offer here at Drift Off, a place that takes your mind on a whimsical journey rather than focusing on thoughts that keep you awake. I'm your host, Joanne, and I can't wait to take this journey with you. Before we begin, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also help spread these sleepy vibes by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, which really does help grow our audience. Tonight's bedtime story is a modified excerpt of a lovely whimsical tale called The Sea Fairies, an enchanted story by L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz. We will join Trot and her friend Captain Bill as they explore the magical world of mermaids. It's time to tuck away those thoughts in your head and to get comfy and cozy in your bed. Let go of the day as it comes to an end. Embrace the quiet and the stillness. Sweet dreams, my friend. The air was soft and warm, and the sun turned the edges of the waves into sparkling diamonds. The old man and the young girl stood on the bluff and watched all of this with interest. This was their world. The waves are calm this morning. Let's have a boat ride, Cat'n Bill, said the girl, whose name was Trot. Sure. Why not, replied the sailor. So they found the winding path that led them down the cliff to the narrow beach below. Trot never minded the steep path or the loose rocks at all, but Cap'n Bill had a wooden leg and had to be very careful not to slip and take a tumble. But by and by, they reached the sands where Trot's rowboat was sheltered and the old sailor unfastened the knot and pushed the boat to the water's edge. Today, they decided to row, so the girl climbed in and her companion stuck his wooden leg into the water so he wouldn't get his foot wet and pushed off the little boat as he climbed aboard. Then, he seized the oars and began gently paddling. Where should we go, Trot? he asked with a twinkle in his eye. I don't care, Captain. It's just fun enough to be on the water, she answered, smiling. So he rowed along the coast where the great caves were. She knew all the caves well, and so did Captain Bill. Many of them opened just at the water's edge, and it was possible to row their boat far into their dusky depths. As much as they were enjoying the ride, they soon began to feel the heat of the sun. We've never been into that cave, Captain, she remarked, looking at an archway that marked the cave's entrance through which the water flowed. Let's go in so we can cool off. Oh, please, Captain, can we go in? The young girl asked eagerly. I'd like to explore it. All right, replied the sailor. 
It'll be cooler in there than out here in the sun. It's low tide now, and we won't stay long, for when the tide turns, we might not get out again. And he picked up the oars and rowed slowly toward the cave. The black archway seemed hardly big enough for the boat to fit through at first. But as they drew closer, the opening became bigger. The sea was very calm, for the headland shielded it from the breeze. Here and for a time, neither of them spoke, and only the soft lapping of the water against the sides of the boat was heard. As the boat floated into the dim interior, a beautiful sight met the eyes of the two adventurers and held them dumb with wonder and delight. It was not dark in the vast cave, as a light seemed to come from underneath the water, which all around them glowed with an exquisite sapphire color. Where the little waves crept up the sides of the rocks, they shone like brilliant jewels, and every drop seemed a gem fit to deck a queen. Trot leaned her chin on her hands and her elbows on her lap and gazed at this charming sight with real enjoyment. Cap'n Bill drew in the oars and let the boat drift where it would, while he also sat silently, admiring the scene. Slowly, the craft crept farther and farther into the dim interior of the vast cavern, while the two passengers feasted their eyes on the beauties constantly revealed. Both the old seaman and the little girl loved the ocean in all its various moods. To them, it was a constant companion and genial comrade. If it stormed and raved, they laughed with glee. If it rolled great breakers against the shore, they clapped their hands joyfully. If it lay slumbering at their feet, they petted and caressed it. But always... They loved it. Here was the ocean yet. It had crept under the dome of overhanging rock to reveal itself crowned with sapphires and dressed in a sheer gown, revealing in the guise of new and unexpected charms. Good morning, Meyer, said a sweet voice. Trot gave a start and looked around her in wonder. Just beside her in the water were little eddies, circles within circles, such as are caused when anything sinks below the surface. Did you hear that, Captain Bill? She whispered solemnly. Captain Bill did not answer. He was staring with eyes that bulged out at a place behind Trot's back, and he shook a little, as if trembling from cold. Trot turned half around, and then she stared too. Rising from the blue water was a fair face around which floated a mass of long, blonde hair. It was a sweet, girlish face with eyes of the same deep blue as the water, and red lips 
whose dainty smile disposed two rows of pearly teeth. The cheeks were plump and rosy, the brows gracefully penciled, and the chin was rounded and had a pretty dimple in it. The most beautifulest in all the world, murmured Cap'n Bill. There was a peal of merry laughter at this, laughter that rippled and echoed throughout the cavern. And just then, at Trot's side, appeared a new face, even fairer than the other, with a wealth of brown hair wreathing the lovely features, and the eyes smiled kindly into those of the child. Are you a mermaid? asked Trot curiously. She was not a bit afraid. They seemed both gentle and friendly. Yes, dear, was the soft answer. We are all mermaids, chimed a laughing chorus. And here and there, all about the boat, appeared pretty faces lying just upon the surface of the water. Are you part fishes? asked Trot, greatly pleased by this wonderful sight. No, we are all mermaid, replied the one with the brown hair. The fishes are partly like us, because they live in the sea and must move about. And you are partly like us, Meyer dear, but have awkward stiff legs, so you may walk on the land. But the mermaids lived before fishes and before mankind, so both have borrowed something from us. Then you must be fairies if you've lived always, remarked Trot, nodding wisely. We are, dear. We are the sea fairies, answered the one with the blonde hair, coming nearer and rising till her slender white throat showed plainly. We're goners, Trot, sighed Cap'n Bill with a white, woe-begone face. I think not, Cap'n, she answered calmly. These pretty mermaids aren't going to hurt us, I'm sure. No, indeed, said the first one who had spoken. If we were wicked enough to wish to harm you, our magic could reach you as easily upon the land as in this cave. But we love little girls dearly and wish only to please them and make their lives more happy. I believe that, cried Trot earnestly. Guess why we've appeared to you, said another mermaid, coming to the side of the boat. Why? asked the child. We heard you say yesterday you would like to see a mermaid, and so we decided to grant your wish. That was real nice of you, said Trot, gratefully. Would you like to see our kingdom and see all the beautiful wonders that exist below the sea? asked the mermaid. I'd love to, replied Trot promptly, but I couldn't. I'd drown. Oh no, said the mermaid. We would make you both like one of ourselves, and then you could live within the water as easily as we do. I don't know as I'd like that, said the child, at least for always. You need not stay with us a moment longer than you please, returned the mermaid, smiling as if amused at the remark. 
Whenever you're ready to return home, we promise to bring you to this place again and restore you to the same forms you are now wearing. Would I have a fish's tail? asked Trot earnestly. You would have a mermaid's tail, was the reply. What colors would my scales be, pink or purple? You may choose the color yourself. Look here, Trot, said Cap'n Bill in excitement. You aren't thinking of doing such a fool thing, are you? Of course I am, declared the little girl. We don't get such an invitation every day, Cap'n, and if I don't go now, I may never find out how the mermaids live. I don't care how they live myself, said Cap'n Bill. I just want them to let me live. There's no danger, said Trot. I don't know about that. That's what all the other folks said when they dove after the mermaids and drowned. Who? asked the girl. I don't know who, but I've heard tell. You've heard that no one ever saw a mermaid and lived, said Trot. To tell the tale, he added. And if we dive like they says, we won't live ourselves. All the mermaids laughed at this, and the brown-haired one said, Well, if you're afraid, don't come. You may roll your boat out of this cave and never see us again if you like. We merely thought it would please little Meyer, and were willing to show her the sights of our beautiful home. I'd like to see him all right, said Trot, her eyes glistening with pleasure. So would I, admitted Cap'n Bill, if we would live to tell the tale. Don't you believe us? asked the mermaid, fixing her lovely eyes on those of the old sailor and smiling prettily. Are you afraid to trust us to bring you safely back? No, said Cap'n Bill, it ain't that. I've got to look after Trot. Then you'll have to come with me, said Trot decidedly, for I'm going to accept the invitation. If you don't dare to come, Cap'n Bill, you go home and tell Mother I'm visiting the mermaids. She would scold me into shivers, moaned the sailor with a shudder. I guess I'd rather take my chance down below. All right, I'm ready, Miss Mermaid, said Trot. What shall I do? Jump in, clothes and all? Give me your hand, dear, answered the mermaid, lifting a lovely white arm from the water. Trot took the slender hand and found it warm and soft and not a bit fishy. My name is Clea, continued the mermaid, and I am princess in our deep sea kingdom. Just then, Trot flopped out of the boat and into the water. Cap'n Bill caught a gleam of pink scales as his little friend went overboard, and the next moment, there was Trot's face in the water among those of the mermaids. She was laughing with glee as she looked up at Cap'n Bill's face and called, Come on in, Cap'n. It didn't hurt a bit. Cap'n Bill stood up in the boat as if undecided what to do. Never a sailor man was more bewildered than this old fellow by the strangeness of the adventure he had encountered. 
At first, he could hardly believe it was all true and that he was dreaming. But there was Trot in the water, laughing with the mermaids and floating comfortably about, and he couldn't leave his dear companion to make the trip to the depths of the ocean alone. Take my hand, please, Cap'n Bill, said Princess Clea, reaching her dainty arm toward him. Suddenly, the old man took courage and clasped the soft fingers in his own. He had to lean over the boat to do this, and then there came a lightness to his legs, and he had a great longing to be in the water. So, he gave a flop and flopped in beside Trot, where he found himself comfortable enough, but somewhat frightened. Lost sakes, he gasped. Here's me in the water with my rheumatism. I'll be so stiff tomorrow that I can't wiggle. You're wiggling all right now, observed Trot. That's a fine tail you've got, Cap'n, and its green scales is just beautiful. Green, eh? he asked, twisting around to try to see. Green as emeralds, Cap'n. How do they feel? Feel, Trot? Feel? Why, this tail beats that old wooden leg all holler. I can do stunts now that I couldn't have done in a thousand years with old Peg. And don't be afraid of the rheumatism, advised the princess. No mermaid ever catches a cold or suffers pain in the water. Is Cap'n Bill a mermaid now? asked Trot. Why, I suppose he's a merman, laughed the pretty princess. But when he gets home, he will be just Cap'n Bill again. Wooden leg and all, inquired the child. To be sure, my dear. The sailor was now trying his newly discovered power of swimming and became astonished at the feats he could accomplish. He could dart this way and that with wonderful speed and turn and dive and caper about in the water far better than he had ever been able to do on land, even before he got the wooden leg. And a curious thing about this present experience was that the water did not cling to him and wet him as it had always done before. He still wore his flannel shirt and pea jacket and his sailor cap, but although he was in the water and had been underneath the surface, the cloth still seemed dry and warm, and as he dived down and came up again, the drops flashed from his head and the fringe of his beard, but he never needed to wipe his face or his eyes at all. Trot was enjoying this experience too very much, and when she ducked under the water, she saw plainly everything about her as easily and distinctly as she had ever seen anything above water. And by looking over her shoulder, she could watch the motion of her new tail, all covered with the pretty iridescent pink scales which gleamed like jewels. She wore her dress the same as before, and the water failed to affect it in the least. She now noticed that the mermaids were clothed too, and their exquisite gowns were the loveliest thing the little girl had ever seen. 
They seemed made of a material that was like sheeny silk, cut low in the neck, and with wide flowing sleeves that seldom covered the shapely white arms of her new friends. The gowns had trains that floated far behind the mermaids as they swam, but were fleecy and transparent, that the sparkle of their scales might be seen reaching back of their waists, where the human form ended and the fish part began. The sea fairies wore strings of splendid pearls twined around their throats, while more pearls were sewn upon their gowns for trimmings. They did not dress their beautiful hair at all, but let it float around them in clouds. The little girl had scarcely time to observe all of this when the princess said, Now, my dear, if you are ready, we will begin our journey. All right, answered Trot, and took the hand extended to her with a trustful smile. Will you allow me to guide you, Cap'n Bill? asked the blonde mermaid, extending her hand to the older sailor. Of course, ma'am, he said, taking her fingers rather bashfully. My name is Merla, she continued, and I am cousin to Princess Clea. We must all keep together, you know, and I will hold your hand. While she spoke, they began to descend through the water, and it grew quite dark for a time because the cave shut out the light. But presently Trot, who was eagerly looking around her, began to notice the water lighten and saw they were coming into brighter parts of the sea. We have left the cave now said Clea, and may swim straight home. I suppose there are no winding roads in the ocean, remarked the child, swimming swiftly beside her new friend. Oh yes, indeed, at the bottom, the way is far from being straight or level, replied Clea. But we are in midwater now, where nothing will hinder our journey, unless... She seemed to hesitate, so Trot asked, Unless what? You must remember that we are fairies, said Princess Clea. For that reason, nothing in the ocean can injure us. But you two are mortals, and therefore not entirely safe at all times unless we protect you. Never fear, said Merla. We'll take care of you on your journey, she said reassuringly with a smile. How old are mermaids? asked Trot, looking around at the beautiful creatures wonderingly. We are like all ladies of uncertain age, said the princess with a smile. We don't care to tell. Older than Cap'n Bill? Yes, dear, said Clea. But we haven't any gray whiskers, added Merla merrily, and our hearts are ever young. Trot was thoughtful. It made her feel solemn to be in the company of such old people. The band of mermaids seemed to all appearances young and fresh, and not a bit as if they'd been soaked in water for a hundred years. The girl began to take more notice of the sea maidens following after her. More than a dozen were in the group. All were lovely in appearance, 
and clothed in the same gauzy robes as Merla and the princess, and she often heard the tinkling chorus of their laughter. Whatever doubts might have risen in the child's mind through the ignorant tales of her sailor friend, she now found the mermaids to be light-hearted and merry, and from the first she had not been in the least afraid of her new companions. Trot was surprised to find it was not at all dark or gloomy as they descended farther into the deep sea. Things were not quite so clear to her eyes as they had been in the bright sunshine above the ocean surface, but every object was distinct nevertheless, as if she saw through a pane of green-tainted glass. The water was very clear except for this green shading, and the little girl had never before felt so light and buoyant as she did now. It was no effort at all to dart through the water, which seemed to support her on all sides. They were now approaching a beautiful grove, where the bottom of the sea was covered with white sand, in which grew many varieties of sea shrubs with branches like those of trees. Not all of them were green, however, for the branches and leaves were of a variety of gorgeous colors. Some were purple, shading down to a light lavender, and there were reds all the way from a delicate rosy pink to vivid shades of scarlet. Orange, yellow, and blue shades were there too, mingling with the sea greens in a most charming manner. The sea shrubs, which in size were quite as big and tall as the trees on earth, were set so close together that their branches entwined. Altogether, Trot found the brilliant coloring of the leaves, branches, trees, and shrubs somewhat bewildering. The band now headed into a broad passage through the gardens, as the mermaids called these gorgeous groves and the great swordfishes guarding the entrance made way for them to pass. The way round here and there for some distance, till finally they came to a more open space, all carpeted with sea flowers of exquisite colorings. Although Trot did not know it, these flowers resembled the rare orchids of the earth in their fanciful shapes and marvelous hues. The child did not examine them very closely, for across the carpet of flowers loomed the magnificent and extensive palaces of the mermaids. These palaces were built of coral, white, pink, and yellow being used, and the colors arranged in graceful designs. The front of the main palace, which now faced them, had circular ends connecting the straight wall, not unlike the architecture we are all familiar with. Yet, there seemed to be no windows to the building, although a series of archways served as doors. Arriving at one of the central archways, the band of sea maidens separated. Princess Clea and Merla leading Tra and Cat'n Bill into the palace 
while the other mermaids swam swiftly away to their own quarters. Welcome, said Clea in her sweet voice. I hope you will like our home, she added a little shyly. We are sure to, dear princess, Trot hastened to say. Then Clea escorted them through the archway and into a lofty hall. It was not a mere grotto, but had smoothly built walls of pink coral inlaid with white. Trot at first thought there was no roof, for looking upward she could see the water all above them. But the princess, reading her mind, said with a smile, Yes, there is a roof, or we would be unable to keep all the sea people out of our palace. But the roof is made of glass to admit the light. Glass, cried the astonished child. Then it must be an awful big pane of glass. It is, agreed Clea. Our roofs are considered quite wonderful, and we owe them to the fairy powers of our queen. Of course you understand there is no natural way to make glass underwater. No, indeed, said Cap'n Bill. And then he asked, Does your queen live here? Yes, she's waiting now in her throne room to welcome you. Come then, said Clea. And once more, taking Trot's hand, she led the girl through still another arch, while Merla followed just behind them, escorting Cap'n Bill. They now entered an apartment so gorgeous that the child gasped in astonishment. The queen's throne room was indeed the grandest and most beautiful chamber in all the ocean palaces. Its coral walls were thickly laid with mother-of-pearl, exquisitely shaded and made into borders and floral decorations. In the corners were cabinets, upon the shelves of which many curious shells were arranged and beautifully polished. The floor glittered with gems arranged in patterns of flowers like a brilliant carpet. Near the center of the room was a raised platform of mother-of-pearl upon which stood a couch thickly studded with diamonds. Here reclined the Queen Aquarine, a being so lovely that Trot gazed upon her spellbound, and Cap'n Bill took off his sailor cap and held it in his hands. All about the room were grouped other mother-of-pearl couches, not raised like that of the Queen, and upon each of these reclined a pretty mermaid. They could not sit down as we do, Trot readily understood, because of their tails. But they rested very gracefully upon the couches, with their trailing gauzy robes arranged in fleecy folds. When Clea and Merla escorted the strangers down the length of the great room toward the royal throne, they met with pleasant looks and smiles on every side, for the sea maidens were too polite to indulge in curious stares. They paused just before the throne, and the queen raised her head upon one elbow to observe them. 
Welcome, Meyer, she said, and welcome, Cap'n Bill. I trust you are pleased with your glimpse of the life beneath the surface of our sea? I am, answered Trot, looking admiringly at the beautiful face of the Queen. It's almighty curious and strange-like, said the sailor slowly. I'd no idea you mermaids were like this at all. Allow me to explain that it was to correct your wrong ideas about us that led me to invite you to visit us, replied the queen. We usually pay little heed to the earth people, for we are content in our own dominions. But, of course, we know all that goes on upon your earth. So, when Princess Clea overheard your absurd statements concerning us, we were greatly amused and decided to let you see with your own eyes what we are like. I'm glad you did, answered Cap'n Bill, dropping his eyes with embarrassment as he remembered his former description of the mermaids. Now that you are here, continued the queen in a cordial, friendly tone, you may as well remain with us a few days and see the wonderful sights of our ocean. I'm much obliged to you, ma'am, said Trot, and I'd like to stay ever so much, but Mother worries if we don't get home in time. I'll arrange that, said Aqua Rain with a smile. How? asked the girl. I will make your mother forget the passage of time, so she will not realize how long you're away. Then she cannot worry. Can you do that? inquired Trot. Very easily. I will send your mother into a deep sleep that will last until you are ready to return home. Just at present, she is seated in her chair by the front window, engaged in knitting. The queen paused to raise an arm and waved it slowly to and fro. Then she added, Now your good mother is asleep, little Meyer, and instead of worries, I promise her pleasant dreams. Won't someone rob the house while she's asleep? asked the child anxiously. No, dear. My charm will protect the house from any intrusion. That's fine, exclaimed Trot in delight. It's just wonderful, said Cap'n Bill. But I wish I knew it was so. Trot's mother has an awful sharp tongue when she's worried. You may see for yourselves, declared the queen. At once, they saw before them the room in the cottage with Meyer's mother asleep by the window. Her knitting was in her lap and the cat lay curled up beside her chair. It was all so natural that Trot thought she could hear the clock over the fireplace tick. After a moment, the scene faded away, and the queen asked with another smile, Are you satisfied? Oh, yes, cried Trot. But how did you do it? It's a form of mirage, was the reply. We are able to bring any earth scene before us whenever we wish. Sometimes these scenes are reflected above the water 
so that mortals also observe them. I've seen them, said Captain Bill, nodding. I've seen mirages, but I never knew what caused them. While you visit, and whenever you see anything you do not understand and wish to ask questions, I will be very glad to answer them, said the Queen. Well, there is one thing that I am curious about, said Trot, is why we don't get wet, being in the ocean with water all around us. That is because no water really touches you, explained the Queen. Your bodies have been made just like those of the mermaids in order that you may fully enjoy your visit with us. One of our peculiar qualities is that the water is never permitted to touch our bodies or our gowns. Always there remains a tiny small space between us and the water, which is the reason we are always warm and dry. I see, said Trot. That's why you don't get soggy or withered. Exactly, laughed the queen, and the other mermaids joined in her merriment. I suppose that's how we can breathe without gills, remarked Cap'n Bill thoughtfully. Yes, the airspace is constantly replenished from the water which contains air, and this enables us to breathe as free as you do upon the earth. But we have fins, said Trot, looking at the fin that stood upright on Cap'n Bill's back. Yes, they allow us to guide ourselves as we swim, and so they are very useful, replied the Queen. They make us more finished, said Cap'n Bill with a chuckle. Then suddenly becoming grave, he added, How about my rheumatism, ma'am? Ain't I lucky to get stiffened up with all the dampness? No, indeed, Aquarain answered. There is no such thing as rheumatism in all our dominions. I promise, no evil shall follow this visit to us. So please, be as happy and contented as possible. The queen then requested her guests to recline upon the couches that they might rest themselves from their long swim and talk more at ease. So the girl and the sailor allowed themselves to float downward until they rested their bodies on two of the couches nearest the throne, which were willingly vacated for them by the mermaids who occupied them until then. The visitors soon found themselves answering a great many questions about their life on earth. For although the queen had said she kept track of what was going on on the land, there were many details of human life in which all the mermaids seemed greatly interested. During the conversation, several sea maids came swimming into the room bearing trays of sea apples and other fruit, which they first offered to the queen and then passed the refreshments around to the company assembled. Trot found the fruits delicious to eat as they had a richer flavor than any that grew upon the land. Queen Aquarine was much pleased when the old sailor asked for more. But Merla warned him dinner would soon be served, 
and he must take care not to spoil his appetite for that meal. Now, said Aquarine, go with Merla, as she will now escort you to your rooms so you can freshen up before dinner. The palaces of the mermaids were all aglow with lights as they approached them, and Trot was amazed at the sight. Where do the lamps come from? she asked their guide, wonderingly. They are not lamps, my dear, replied Merla, much amused at the suggestion. We use electric lights in our palaces, and have done so for thousands of years, long before the earth people knew of electric lights. But where do you get them? inquired Cap'n Bill, who was as much astonished as the girl. From transparent jellyfish, which naturally emit a strong and beautiful electric light, was the answer. We have many hundreds of them in our palaces, as you will presently see. Their way was now lighted by small, phosphorescent creatures scattered about the sea gardens and, which Merla informed them, were sea glowworms. But their light was dim when compared to the electric jellyfish, which they found placed in clusters upon the ceilings of all the rooms of the palaces, rendering them light as day. Trot watched these curious creatures with delight, for delicately colored lights ran around their bodies in every direction in a continuous stream, shedding splendid rays throughout the vast halls. A group of mermaids met the visitors in the hall of the main palace and told Merla that the queen had instructed them to show the guests to their rooms and for Merla to return back to the royal throne. So Trot followed the two of them through the several passages, after which they swam upward and entered a circular opening. There were no stairs here, because there was no need for them, and the little girl soon found herself in an upper room that was very beautiful indeed. All the walls were covered with iridescent shells, polished till they resembled mother-of-pearl, and upon the glass ceiling were clusters of brilliant electric jellyfish, rendering their room bright and cheerful with their radiance. In one corner stood a couch of white coral, with gossamer draperies hanging around it from the four high posts. Upon examining it, the child found the couch was covered in soft amber sponges, which made it very comfortable to lie upon. In a wardrobe, she found several beautiful gossamer gowns, richly embroidered in colored seaweeds, and these Meyer was told she might wear while she remained the guest of the mermaids. She also found a toilet table with brushes, combs, and other conveniences, all of which were made of polished tortoise shell. Really, the room was more dainty and comfortable than one might suppose possible in a palace far beneath the surface of the sea, and Trot was greatly delighted with her new quarters. The mermaid attendants assisted the child to dress herself 
in one of the prettiest robes, which she found to be quite dry and fitted her comfortably. Then the sea maids brushed and dressed her hair and tied it with ribbons of cherry red seaweed. Finally, they placed around her neck a string of pearls that would have been priceless upon the earth. And then the little girl announced that she was ready for supper and was beginning to feel hungry. Cap'n Bill had been given a similar room near Trot, but the old sailor refused to change his clothes for any others offered him, and as such was ready for supper long before his comrade. In the royal banquet hall were assembled many of the mermaids, headed by the lovely queen, and as soon as their earth guests arrived, Aqua Rain ordered the meal to be served. Lobsters waited upon the table, wearing little white caps and aprons, which made them look quite funny. But Trot was so hungry that she did not pay as much attention to the lobsters as she did to her supper, which was very delicious and consisted of many courses. A lobster spilled some soup on Cap'n Bill's bald head and made him yell for a second because it was very hot and he had not expected it. But the queen apologized very sweetly for the awkwardness of her servants, and the sailor soon forgot all about the incident in his enjoyment of the meal. Several courses were served, and the lobsters changed the plates with each course. Many of the things offered them to eat were unknown to the visitors, but they found the meal delicious and quite tasty. When the fruits came, Trot thought it was the last course of the big dinner, but following the fruits, they served ice cream frozen in the shape of flowers. How funny, said the child, to be eating ice cream at the bottom of the sea. Why does that surprise you? inquired the queen. I can't see where you would get the ice to freeze, Trot replied. It is brought to us from the icebergs that float in the northern parts of the ocean, explained Merla. Of course, Trot, you should have thought of that. I did, said Cap'n Bill, winking with a smile. Now, said Aquarine, I will send you out for a swim with Merla, who will show you some of the curious sights of our sea. In fact, not only did they see curious sights during their swim, but over the next couple of days, both Merla and Princess Clea took Trot and Cap'n Bill on many adventures. They saw lots of different kinds of fish and curious sea creatures, some of whom were a little scary indeed, that swim and live deep down in the ocean. They also faced some interesting challenges during their explorations with the mermaid companions, but thankfully, everything turned out okay. It would take many hours for me to read to you all about Trot and Cap'n Bill's exciting excursions with the sea fairies, but you can read all about them in the original book 
that describes their adventures in its many chapters. And so for this bedtime story, let's move ahead to the final chapter. We have enjoyed your visit with us, said beautiful Queen Aquarine, smiling upon her little friend. And you may easily repay any pleasure we have given you by speaking well of the mermaids when you hear earth people condemning us. I promise I'll do that, of course, exclaimed the child. Aquarine was thoughtful for a time. Then she drew from her finger a ring, a plain gold band set with a pearl of great value and gave it to Trot. If at any period of your life the mermaids can be of service to you, my dear, she said, you have but to come to the edge of the ocean and call Aquarine. If you are wearing the ring at the time, I shall instantly hear you and come to your assistance. Thank you, cried the child, slipping the ring over her own chubby finger, which it fit perfectly. I shall never forget that I have good and loyal friends in the ocean, you may be sure. Then, away and away they swam, swiftly and in a straight line, keeping in the middle water where they were not liable to meet any sea people on their journey back. Aqua Rain used her magic power to carry them across the ocean in a very quick time, and before Trot and Cap'n Bill were aware of the distance they had come, she said, Now we must go a little deeper, for here is Giant's Cave, and the entrance to it is near the bottom of the sea. What? Already? cried the girl joyfully. And then through the dark water they swam, passing through the rocky entrance, and began to ascend slowly into the sapphire blue water of the cave. You've been awfully good to us, and I don't know just how to thank you, said Trot earnestly. We have enjoyed your visit with us, said the beautiful queen, smiling upon her little friend. How about changing us back to our regular shapes? inquired Cap'n Bill anxiously. That will be very easy, replied Princess Clea with her merry laugh, who also came along with the queen to accompany their friends on their journey back home. See, here we are at the surface of the water. They pushed their heads above the blue water and looked around the cave. It was silent and deserted, floating gently near the spot where they had left their little boat. Cap'n Bill swam to it, took hold of the side, and then turned an inquiring face toward the mermaids. Climb in, said the queen. So he pulled himself up and awkwardly tumbled forward into the boat. As he did so, he heard his wooden leg clatter against the seat and turned around to look at it wonderingly. It's me all right, he muttered. One meat one and one hickory one. Yep, these belong to me. Will you lift Myra aboard? 
asked Princess Clea. The old sailor aroused himself, and as Trot lifted her arms, he seized them and drew her safely into the boat. She was dressed just as usual, and her chubby legs wore shoes and stockings. Strangely enough, neither of them were at all wet or even damp in any part of their clothing. I wonder where our legs have been while we've been gone, mused Cap'n Bill, gazing at his little friend in great delight. And I wonder what's become of our pretty pink and green scale tails, returned the girl, laughing with glee, for it seemed good to be herself again. Queen Acrorain and Princess Clea were a little way off, lying with their pretty faces just out of the water while their hair floated in soft clouds around them. Goodbye, friends, they called out. Goodbye, shouted both Trot and Cap'n Bill, and the little girl blew two kisses from her fingers toward the mermaids. Then their faces disappeared, leaving little ripples on the surface of the water. Cap'n Bill picked up the oars and slowly headed the boat toward the mouth of the cave. I wonder, Trot, if your mama has missed us, he remarked uneasily. Of course not, replied the girl. She's been sound asleep, you know. The two best friends were both thoughtful while looking up ahead through the archway and could see the faint visible shoreline in the distance. When Trot softly spoke and said, The land's the best, Captain. Yes, the sailor replied with a gleam in his eye. It sure is, mate. And as the boat crept out into the bright sunlight, they were both silent, but each sighed with pleasure at beholding their own everyday world again.